welcome to Dads with Daughters. In this show, we spotlight dads, resources, and more to help you be the best dad you can be. Hey everyone, this is Chris, and welcome back to Dads with Daughters, where we bring you guests to help you be active participants in your daughters' lives, raising them to be strong, independent women. As always, I love having all of you come back every week to be able to learn and grow and and really find new ways to be able to engage better with your kids. And we continuously are trying to bring you guests that are going to let you learn new ways to be able to engage with your kids based on the way that they potentially are engaging with their kids because all of us are fathering in different ways. And today we've got a great guest. Simranjit Singh is a professor of religion at Union Seminary in New York City. He's a father of two and really excited to have him here. Simran, thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you here as well. I want to talk to you a little bit about, you've got a brand new book that's out, the, a kid's book that we're going to talk a little bit about, and we're going to delve a little bit deeper into looking at empathy within our kids. We're going to talk about that as well. But first and foremost, I love to be able to first talk to you about your children, and, and particularly daughters, because this is our Dads with Daughters show. So the first question that I always love to ask everyone is, turn back the clock. And what was your first reaction when you found out that you were going to be a father to a daughter? <laughs> um, I don't know if I'm supposed to say this, but I was uh, I was scared, and um, it's probably it's probably a common feeling I'm guessing. Although I, I don't know if we're supposed to say that out loud, but yeah, I was definitely scared. I part of it was you know I grew up one of four boys. We had no sisters, and and we were very close in age. It was from top to bottom, we were five and a half years apart. And so it was like very, it was guy time all the time. And so like, uh, aside, aside from my wife and, you know, my friends and whatever, I hadn't spent significant time around girls. And I definitely not at a young, young age, like, you know, I was just worried would I fit in, would I know what to do, you know, all that, all that sort of basic stuff. Would they like me? <laughs> You know, no kids come with a manual, and and definitely, I know as being a father to a to two daughters myself, uh, you you're learning as you go, and and that's definitely the case. And I think everybody has some fears along the way. You know, I was an only child, so I have no experience with brothers or sisters. So knowing knowing that and going into this, you you definitely jump in with both feet and you do your best. Yeah, one of the funny things about parenting is when you're before you're on the other side of it, you have this assumption, or at least I had this assumption that people knew what they were doing. <laughs> that, you know, you, you said it doesn't come with a manual. And I guess part of it was as, you know, when my wife was pregnant, we were, we were reading all the books and we, I guess, thought we were figuring out, like we were learning how to parent, but that wasn't really it. We were, we were learning like how to keep the kids alive <laughs> and then the real basics. But your point about figuring out as you go along, like we're four years in now and it's still like every day is a new day. And just wait, it continues to go forward as they get older and you get into those teenage years and then it's like you're trying to figure, still figure it out. So (laughs) (laughs) I know your kids are younger right now. What would you say has been the most memorable experience that you've had thus far 
as a father to a daughter? My favorite thing we've done so far is, you know, I grew up in San Antonio and I'm a big Spurs fan. And it had always been my dream that my kids would always also be Spurs fans. And, and we've, we started indoctrinating them early. You know, my, my parents were buying them all the gear, their, their stuffed animals were Spurs related somehow. And so when they came and played the Nets, I took my daughter to a game. She was just about to turn three, so old enough to really like enjoy it. And it's been more than a year now, and she still talks about that game. So like that to me, like is a gift that's just kept on giving for more than a year already. Well, it's always great to be able to find something that allows you to bond and allows you to connect in some way, especially from an early age. And as you said, indoctrinating them early as being fans of a certain team. And luckily they didn't go there and say, ah, no, I'm, I'm a right, exactly. fan. Right? <laughs> or I'm the Nets fan instead. I like that. I like that other team. <laughs> Looking at society today, and in looking at raising children in society today, what would you say is your biggest fear in raising a daughter today? I wrote a column about this about a year ago. I think my biggest fear and my biggest revelation together have to do with the pervasiveness of misogyny in our society. Like, you know, again, I grew up with three brothers and part of our male privilege was we never thought about that kind of stuff. We thought about all sorts of other stuff, right? Like we have my brothers and I have turbans and beards. And so we, you know, we're thinking about racism constantly and, and the sort of vulnerabilities around that. But we never really thought about, you know, we're walking down the street late at night. We're not really concerned in the same ways that other people are, that uh, that women are, I should say. And, and, you know, the moment my daughter was born, everything in my, in my mind just sort of shifted. And, 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 you know, I know it shouldn't be this way, that I should have noticed this before, but like all of a sudden the portrayal of women on magazines covers or uh, on TV commercials or everything like that just stuck out to me as like, oh my God, these are the messages my daughters are going to be getting about how they have to live in order to feel valuable in society. And to think about them growing up in that world, that was, I mean, it is it is immensely scary to me. I, my, my daughters are still young, right? They're four and two. So I clearly have no answers. And it's something that I, that I think about quite a lot. My wife and I talk about it often about how we, how we sort of counter those negative messages. You know, we currently have a, a great partnership right now with Dove and Dove is doing some amazing work with self-esteem and body image work. And we've actually got about seven different units that have been created with Dove to be able to help dads to better connect with their daughters in looking at aspects of body image and aspects of self-esteem. And, you know, I've been going through the units myself and talking to men in the Dads with Daughters Facebook community that we have. And it is amazing to hear the stories of connection that this is allowed mm. for them to have, because typically those type of conversations don't have, happen between fathers and daughters. Uh, you know, that's happening between a father or a mother and a daughter. But this is an opportunity for a father to really take a active role to better understand some of the things that you were just saying, to be able to really have some meaningful conversations. Now, the curriculum is set for girls between the ages of 7 and 14. That's kind of the target age. But there are some pieces of it that would still work for people probably between ages 5 and I'm going to say 15, maybe 16. 16 is getting up there. But, but, it's a, it, but, but it really hits on exactly what you just said, that media portrayal, body image, 
you know, the self-esteem that people are, that girls are being, you know, hit against every day when they see things that they might not realize it, but the image that they're seeing on the screen is not the real image of the person that is right there. So it's, you know, I, I completely understand what you're saying because you want your daughters to be able to grow up seeing the beauty that they have, not only within themselves, but outside themselves as well, and be comfortable with the skin that they have and not feel like they have to live to a different standard. Yeah, it's something, you know, I, I work with a lot of young people around the country. And one of the things I keep seeing over and over again is that our kids, and it's not just our kids, this is true for us as well. Like we're, we're, we feel unfulfilled and dissatisfied and disconnected and lonely and unhappy. And to think about those states of being, those that, that as a fact of life for my own kids, like that feels so unacceptable to me. So exactly what you're saying, like what are those things that I can instill in my daughters from, from a young age, right? Like how do they have enough self-confidence or self-esteem that they don't need somebody from the outside telling them that they are worthy in order to feel like they fit in? Or that's the kind of thing that I'm really thinking about. Like what are those things that we can teach our kids so that they feel dignity from within themselves so that then they're not subjected to or at least vulnerable to some of these messy things that are out there? You know, that's so important. And, and it's, it's, not, it's not an easy topic to talk about. It's not an easy thing to, to address. But it's definitely something that I think that all fathers need to be willing to talk about, need to be willing to address, because it's, it's not going to go away. And as a father, you need to be in there. You need to be willing to jump in and have those conversations, whether they're comfortable or not. And I think that uh, some, some of these units that we've got in the Facebook group definitely allow you to do that. Let's take a quick moment to say thank you to our sponsors before we get back to our episode. This episode is sponsored by SaveTheChildren.org. Save the Children believes every child deserves a future. In the United States and around the world, Save the Children is working every day to give children a healthy start in life, the opportunity to learn and protect from harm. They are delivering lasting results for millions of children, including those hardest to reach. They are doing whatever it takes for children every day and in times of crisis, transforming their lives and the future that they share. Right now, the coronavirus is the biggest global health crisis in our lifetime, and it threatens children in every way. COVID-19 has already left many children without caregivers out of school and exposed to violence and exploitation. Child poverty is rising. With your support, SaveTheChildren.org can help children to un- with your support, SaveTheChildren.org can help children in unsafe households and help support distance learning in the face of school closures. There's a number of ways that you can help that range anywhere from 5 to $50, and it helps the most vulnerable children. Find out more at SaveTheChildren.org forward slash save kids. Now let's head back to our interview. Now, I wanted to ask you, because you've got a brand new book out for kids, and I always love talking to authors because I love to get into your minds a little bit about what it was that made you decide to write a children's book. I know you and I talked a little before we we started recording today, and, and one of the things you had talked about was that you've written a lot of professional type of things, but this was the first kid's book. So tell me a little bit about your your book. You can tell us that you know how you came up with the name. You know, but the concept itself. What was it about that concept that uh, that made you decide you really wanted to to go into talking about 
the oldest person to ever run a marathon? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. I think, um, you know, for me, since my childhood, I've been wanting to write a children's book that had someone or some people in there who looked like the people in my family. Right. So like, I, I remember as a kid in Texas, like I would go to the bookstore or the library and look for children's books with characters who had turbans and beards like my family and never, never did it happen. And I would just be so disappointed because I used to, I mean, I would think if my friends could just see people who look like me, like maybe they would think I was less strange or foreign or anything like that. Right. So like there was, there was this impulse of like wanting to be included and humanized in some way. And so that, that never happened when I was a kid and 30 years later, that still hadn't happened. And so I realized, you know, then, then my kid, my, my older daughter was born and I realized that if no one had done it in the past 30 years, it was on me. And so I started thinking about stories that, you know, that would have this sort of representation. But what I was really looking for was what was, what was the story that would resonate with my values and, and the kinds of lessons I wanted, to, you know, I didn't want it to just be like a, a kid in a turban showing up and, you know, doing a random thing. I wanted it to be meaningful. And so I thought a lot about it. And this story of this marathon runner, it personally transformed my life. Like this, this man, like when he uh, ran his first, when he, when he crossed the finish line at the age of a hundred, that was the day I signed up for mine. <laughs> for my first one, because it was, you know, like I had no excuses anymore. But the more I dug into his story, the more inspired I was, right? Like the, the perseverance and the persistence, the messages around inclusion, uh, you know, he had a disability as a child. And so to be able to talk about that and to normalize it in some way for my kids and, and, and for other kids to think about things like, like ageism, you know, the fact that he's 100 years old and is still worthy of our respect like i guess what i was really trying to do was to shift the narrative around who we consider our heroes right like who deserves to be a hero in our society it's not usually someone who looks like me it's not usually someone with a long white beard right who's 100 years old it's not usually someone with a disability and so that that to me was a really important part of of bringing the story to our kids because if if we could teach them to see the humanity of someone who looks so different from them, then I think we could show them how to see the humanity in, in the people all around them, and, and hopefully even in themselves. I think that's a really powerful story and a powerful message that you're sharing with your kids, but also any children that are that are reading the book. What was the experience that you had reading that book to your own daughters? Oh my God, I, I, this is like... I don't even like telling the story because it's so cliche. <laughs> There's a page where, where this runner, he's in his 20s or 30s when he has kids of his own. And there is an illustration in the book where he looks like he's about my age, right? Like same style turban, same length of beard. And he is doing his daughter's hair in the same type of like traditional Punjabi braids that I do on my daughter. And I was reading the book to her for the first time and she saw it and she said, that's you and me every morning, which is our routine every morning. We, I, I do her hair every morning. And so like, it was exactly what I had always dreamed of. And so it was like this like really fulfilling moment after, you know, it was a long process to get this book together, it was several years. But that like that moment was like, oh, this is why this book is so important to me that like these kids can see themselves in the book. And then also like you were saying, kids all over like I, I read it in my daughter's classroom for her preschool 
And the kids in our class said the same thing. I opened up to a page where one of the characters is wearing a pink turban and I was wearing a pink turban that day. And they were like, hey, there's you. And so like to know that this book in some way will counter the negative messages that our kids are receiving about what people who look like me are about, right? Like it's, it's usually about violence and terrorism and being the enemy. Um, and so to have one single touch point of, of the opposite like that, that means so much. So I always have to ask, now, do you have other kids' books that you're already planning or working on right now? I am working on some more, but they're pretty early in the process. I think for anyone listening who's interested, it's an amazing experience and it's really fun, but it's a lot harder than it looks. So like the way this book went and other previous attempts and future attempts, you get more rejections than acceptances. And so I'm really grateful that I that I ended up with a really good relationship with a large publisher. But even with that, I've, I've still been getting rejections on my book drafts where people are like, hey, this isn't it, chief. Try again. Go back to the drawing board and, and put together another one. So so yeah, I'm, I'm working on them and hopefully we'll have one together soon. So one of the things that I heard you say really goes back to the fact that you're trying to, through this book, you're, you're somewhat teaching empathy and you're trying to help others to be able to learn about other cultures, but also other people that are different from themselves. And, you know, empathy is not an easy thing to teach. I've come to find that in the years that I've been a father. And I, you know, for me, I, I almost wonder at times if empathy is genetically based because, you know, I have two kids and one of my children is completely different than the other when it comes to thinking about empathy and thinking about and, and seeing how they react to the world and how they treat others in the world. And with one of my children, you have to work harder at trying to help them to be more empathetic. And the other is very empathetic. And I know that you have said that, you, you know, you're working with a lot of people all over the world and that you have worked with people with em on empathy and, and started to kind of look at some of that. Are there things that you believe that fathers can do to be able to help to encourage that empathetic nature that may or may not be genetically disp disposed to the, the children that they have? It's funny to think about from the perspective of parenting because I present a lot of this material in a professional setting, especially around college campuses and for high school students and also in corporate settings, right? So like that's that's the professional side and then parenting is usually its own bucket and, and you do it at home and you figure it out and you don't usually have the same sorts of tips and tools and trainings and, and that sort of thing. And so I'm trying to, as, as you're speaking, think about how at home we have made these connections. And I think there are two things that I think are that, that have been really helpful and powerful for me personally and in our family. The first is one of the things that I took from my parents, and I think they did an incredible job of this with us. And, and you know, like, like with most children, you don't really realize it's happening while it's happening. You only appreciate it in retrospect. But one of the things they insisted on instilling in us, like the most important thing for them is also one that derives, it's, it's the core teaching of our faith. And that is the basic idea that we have a shared humanity and shared dignity. And it sounds really simple, right? It sounds obvious almost like, but, but sometimes in life, the most profound lessons are the ones that seem most obvious. And, and what I think I've been seeing with my kids and, and remembering as, as I've been doing this with my kids, I've been remembering how my parents did it, is that if you can make interventions in moments where they feel like 
there is a disconnect between them and another person and do it in a way that allows them to make it about that person's behavior as opposed to their inherent nature as a human. That completely changes the way that they see people. And and what ends up happening is no matter who they encounter, their intuitive reaction will be, that's a person, right? Not good or bad. That's a person. And here's how I relate to them in this way. And I'll give you a, a really simple example of a moment that was uh, that I really struggled with this and, and, and ended up sort of thinking through this as, as, as a parent and as a teacher of young children. In 2012, a white supremacist massacred a Sikh congregation in Wisconsin. And it was a watershed moment for, for the Sikh community, my religious community. And just a few weeks later, I was teaching young children about what happened. And th- th- these were elementary school students. And I, <laughs> I did not want to be teaching them about it because I didn't know how to talk to the kids at this age about something this serious. And this ended up being the main point. And it was so powerful because in my own head, I was struggling with this idea of like, what do I care about a white supremacist who's murdering people? Like that's, that's an, that's a bad dude. Like I don't, I don't have any connection with this person. And in having to make this connection of humanity with kids, right? For them to be able to show them his humanity, I also had to see his humanity myself. It was really transformative for me. And for the kids, it was far more simple, right? Like it's easy for them to see someone like that and say, and and, and to accept like, this is a good person or a bad person. But it's just as easy for them to accept this idea because this is all socialized, right? Like we can teach them this. It's just as easy for them to say, this person is a human being. He did something wrong for whatever reason. He came to believe these harmful things uh, and he hurt people, but he's still a human being. And so like that kind of intervention, I think, is a really powerful way for us to be able to get rid of some of these perceived hierarchies or supremacies in our society, right? Like we are socialized to believe that someone who is a millionaire and drives around in a Mercedes deserves more of our respect than the custodian cleaning our school bathrooms. And like, we all know that that's the stigma, but let let me say it this way. Those are the messages we are receiving consciously or subconsciously from society anyway. In order to counter those messages, we have to have a conscious intervention where we are providing counter messages. And my parents did that for us where they were constantly, anytime they saw any sort of micro moment, whether it was our neighbor or like an opponent on a different soccer team who we were talking about, like somehow helping us make a connection that like, actually this is not my enemy. This is my sibling in some way. And so like that to me is is a really powerful tool. I think the world would be a better place if we all could be in that in that t- frame of mind all the time. We see different things on the news every day of people that are definitely not seeing each other in those ways. You know, whether it be in politics and just everyday life, there's always the this piece like we're talking about earlier in regards to, you know, what we see as reality, right? And and what's being shown as reality. And the reality that a lot of times you see in the media is that of other, that we are all different from one another, and we're not as closely aligned as we could be. 
And I think that if everybody could get to a point where what you were saying is seeing each person as a human being, that you may not always agree, and you might not agree with decisions that are made, but that they still have an innate humanity within them. And if you can teach your children that, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I, you know, I think of when we live in a world that's so polarized, and and we see each other in these two dimensional news clips, of course, we're not going to see our full humanity. Like the the whole structure of our discourse is to pull us apart. And I think that's where the power of storytelling really comes in, right? That's, that's a way for us to step into somebody else's fullness. And so that to me is, is another one. Can I share one more, one more thing that that I found really helpful. So this is something that my parents did that I hated when I was a teenager. And, <laughs> and now it to me is like the most genius thing that they did as, as parents. And I am so grateful for this. And I, I preach it everywhere I go as part of my trainings. It'll be pretty easy for anybody listening to, to understand why I hated this. Our parents would have us do quarterly family meetings uh, in conference rooms. And one of those meetings, they brought in a leadership consultant who <laughs> we, we really didn't want to go. And then we found out that he, my parents were like, oh, he did this stuff for the Spurs. And we were like, okay, we'll show up. <laughs> that's, that's what it took. That session, we sat down and we decided, or my parents had decided for us that we were doing a family mission, vision, and values statement. And so we spent the entire weekend we spent crafting what is our family mission, what is our vision, what are our values. And that has been the most incredible gift. Again, like 20 years later now, I still consistently, I have a copy of it on my desktop. I keep a copy of it in my bedroom. I'm not looking at it constantly, but like having a clear sense of those values. Like imagine how lost you are as a teenager. I mean, think about how lost you are right now when you have a tough decision it can be so paralyzing and difficult to know what the right thing to do is. And so to have those values clear in your head about who you are and what you're about, it is such an important tool in my life to, to navigate. And, and it's not just about making the right decisions. It's also, I found out to be very protective. And so like there are, there are times when I am tempted to make a decision that does not line up with integrity and service and love and accountability, right? These are, these are some of our values on the, on the document where like somebody sends me an angry message and I want to respond or some, somebody sends me something racist and I want to respond and say something equally angry. And then I ask myself, is this who I want to be or what I'm about? And then I change course. And that has been so protective for me too, right? And, and so as you're thinking about your kids and social media and all this messiness, one of the things that, that we can really focus on and, and that I'm really thinking about a lot is how do you instill these values, right? Like from a young age, but then also how do you create some sort of infrastructure for them so that when they are in a tough situation, they're more likely to choose something in line with your family's values and also something that will keep them from, from getting in trouble. That's super important. It is super important. Thank you for sharing that with all of us. Now, we always finish our interviews with what we like to call our Fatherhood Five, where we delve a little bit deeper into you as a parent. Are you ready? I think so. <laughs> in one word, what is fatherhood? Vulnerable. 
When was the time that you felt like you finally succeeded as a father to a daughter? When she was watching the New York City Marathon and she saw me run by and I was I was her hero for the next two months. They, she really saw you in the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just not that old yet. Yeah, exactly. How would your kids describe you as a dad? Hopefully fun. We do a lot of activities and reading and playing together. They might describe me as lazy. We do. I do a lot of shortcuts to get by. And now that they're getting a little older, I have them. I have them help a lot with the, the cleaning, which is one of the best perks. <laughs> so yeah, some some combination of fun and lazy. Who inspires you to be a better father? I think a lot about my brother-in-law. He's got two kids and he's divorced, so he's a single working dad, uh, especially since his divorce, to watch him really focus in on his priorities uh, because he doesn't have the capacity to do everything. To really see him focus on his priorities and, and really put in the work, like that's really inspiring to me. And finally, what advice would you give to other dads? I would say to let go of the pressure, the pressure of having to be perfect all the time. And I think there's a lot of research showing us now that the strongest relationships of any kind, including of between parents and their children, are those where there is there's space for imperfection and there's openness and there's vulnerability and there are apologies and you know there's there's that sort of like real respect. And so in previous generations, it wasn't necessarily the parenting model to be open in that way. But I think what I'm finding personally and what I'm seeing in the research is is that the that openness is, is really a fodder for a strong relationship. Now, if people want to find out more about your book or about you, where can they go to find out more information? I spend way too much time on Twitter. My handle is sickprof on all social media, S-I-K-H-P-R-O-F. The book is called Foja Singh Keeps Going, F-A-U-J-A-S-I-N-G-H, Keeps Going. And that's the true story of the oldest person to ever run a marathon. And we'll put links in our notes today. And Simran, thanks so much for being with us. I wish you all the best as you keep running marathons and trying to keep up with your kids. (laughs) Thanks, Chris. This is great. Really appreciate it. If you've enjoyed today's episode of the Dads with Daughters podcast, we invite you to check out the Fatherhood Insider. The Fatherhood Insider is the essential resource for any dad that wants to be the best dad that he can be. We know that no child comes with an instruction manual, and most dads are figuring it out as they go along. And the Fatherhood Insider is full of resources and information that will up your game on fatherhood. Through our extensive course library, interactive forum, step-by-step roadmaps, and more, you will engage and learn with experts, but more importantly, dads like you. So check it out at fatheringtogether.org. If you are a father of a daughter and have not yet joined the Dads with Daughters Facebook community, there's a link in the notes today. Dads with Daughters is a program of Fathering Together. Find out more at fatheringtogether.org. We look forward to having you back for another great guest next week, all geared to helping you raise strong, empowered daughters and be the best dad that you can be. We're all in the same boat. And it's full of tiny screaming passengers We spend the time We give the lessons We make the meals We buy them presents Bring your A-game Cause those kids are growing fast The time goes by just like a dynamite blast Calling astronauts and firemen 
Carpenters and muscle men Get out and be the world to them Be the best dad you can be Be the best dad you can be